Audio 109, Congregation of the Dead, Part 68, God's War, Part 21, presently Part 5 of the Run to Win series. The man that wandereth out of the way of understanding shall remain in the Congregation of the Dead, Proverbs 21, 16. Let us now commence with the message entitled, Run to Win for the Salvation of Our Souls. Part 5. Let us remember that the Bible is like a 20,000-piece wagon wheel puzzle with the spokes, or the 66 spokes, being the books of the Bible and the hub of the wagon wheel being salvation. How we interpret the Bible will depend completely upon how we define salvation and how we Define salvation, if salvation is the hub of the wheel, will entirely affect how we interpret the 66 books. Or if we sit in church all our life and go to hell, what difference does it make how much Bible knowledge you have? The only thing that counts is our soul. And to get our soul to heaven rather than to hell. And Satan, who is the angel of light, is into counterfeiting the salvation. Thus, he will counterfeit the hub of the wheel and thus taint all the spokes of the wheel. So, defining salvation is a big deal. And the last thing that Satan wants is for the definition of salvation to be precisely portrayed to the people. Another way of thinking of the Bible is that it is a skyscraper and salvation is the foundation and the rest of the building that's built upon the salvation can be thought of as the books of the bible and what happens to most of us what happens very easily to theologians as they begin to talk about the color of the carpet or the texture of the walls, and then the color of the walls, the plumbing, or the type of fixtures, what type of windows they want, etc., etc. But since the foundation is already built, salvation gets put on the back burner. And salvation can never be put on the back burner, because that is the whole purpose for preaching the gospel. And Satan's job is into counterfeiting the gospel. And thus, former Mr. Morality, who was a fast food free will preacher himself for years, tries to explain to us natural men Americans and those of us that are truly new creations. In Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13, former Mr. Morality writes, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. Verse 14, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. And former Mr. Morality is saying to us Americans, say, look, I was a fast food free will theologian for years. I had taken the bait. I believed in a false Messiah. But I'm here to tell you, Verse 14, and no marvel should I 
have really marveled about this? No. That's exactly what Satan's business is. Verse 14, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Verse 15, therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. It's no great thing. I was one of these false preachers. And so you as Americans ought to realize that false preachers are all over the place. And you have to be very careful who you listen to. And I'm here to tell you that when Martin Luther in 1524 wrote his book, Bondings to the Will, in response to Erasmus's freedom of the will, was right on when he said that free will is a fiction. For I, former Mr. Morality, now know after I was elected that election is true. There is no such thing as free will in salvation. For when Jesus showed up six or eight years after Jesus was crucified on the road to Damascus and his Father in heaven revealed to me who Jesus really was, I had no idea on the day, time, or place that that was going to happen. I had no fingerprints of cooperation on that. It was just like my natural birth. I was chosen before the foundation of the world. In fact, I told my brethren in Ephesus that both they, who were of the elect, and myself were chosen before the foundation of the world, just as Jacob was chosen, but Esau was not. I wrote to my brethren in Ephesus the following, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. Verse 4, according as he hath chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And the only way we can be holy is by the imputed righteousness of Christ, which is Christ's passive and active obedience. Christ fulfilled the moral law for us, making us holy. And I wrote to my brethren in Rome the following letter, Romans chapter 9, verse 10. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, verse 11, for the children, the children were the twin boys, Jacob and Esau. They were Abraham's twin grandsons. For the children, Jacob and Esau, being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, in order that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. And even fisherman Peter himself talks about election. For if we remember, Jesus had asked his disciples who 
people said that he was, and some said that he was Elijah, some said Jeremiah, some said John the Baptist, etc. But Jesus said unto them, But who do you, my disciples, say that I am? And Peter says, Thou art Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says unto him, Simon Peter, Flesh and blood did not reveal this unto you, but my Father did. It's only by revelation. And revelation means that the Father reveals Jesus to us on a certain day, time, and place unknown to us. It is like our natural birth. So in First Peter chapter 1, Fisherman Peter writes, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered through Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, verse 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. So Peter writes, verse 2, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers, and what strangers is he talking about? Verse 2, the elect, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father. What was this foreknowledge of God? That Jesus Christ could only give salvation to those who were given to him before the foundation of the world by his Father. In fact, Jesus does not even pray for the world. He prays only for those that were given to him by his Father before the foundation of the world. Sherman John writes in John 17, verse 1, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes unto heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son, that would be me, Jesus, in order that thy son, that is me, Jesus, may glorify thee. Verse 2, as thou hast given him, that would be me, Jesus, power over all flesh, that he, Jesus, should give eternal life to as many as thou, Father, hath given him, that would be me, Jesus. Verse 9. I, Jesus, pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. So Jesus can only give salvation to those given to him by his Father before the foundation of the world. So it was foreknown ahead of time who would go to heaven and who would not go to heaven but none of us when we're born into this world none of us natural men americas know whether or not we've been elected or not and thus we all as natural men americas are to run the race to win to do everything we can to get through straight as a gate and narrow is the way before we die physically, to agonize, to enter in at the straight gate, Jesus says, for many will seek to enter in, but they will not be able. As we said a little earlier, we can think of the Bible as a 20,000 piece wagon wheel puzzle 
with the 66 spokes of the wheel being the 66 books of the Bible and the center or the hub of the wheel being salvation. Now, when we speak of salvation in terms of election, that's totally different than our fast food free will friends offer. So one of the ways to easily tell who a false preacher is is to ask them a simple question. Do you believe that the will is bound in salvation or do you believe that the will is free in salvation? And we have proved many times over with self-evident truths that free will is a fiction. Common sense, self-evident truths prove to us that free will is a fiction. For example, we can ask people, are you a liar? And who among us are going to deny that we are a liar? Then second question, we can ask them, who do you lie to the most? And eight out of ten people will immediately say they lie to themselves the most. And so then we simply say to them, if you lie in ten, Jesus is up. They all proclaim to be the truth, but only one is the truth. Are you going to pick the one that fits your agenda or the real one? If you lie to yourself the most. Well, most of us immediately realize since we lie to ourselves the most, we are going to pick the one that fits our agenda, not the true Jesus. Now, this can be proved over and over in the scriptures, just as we did with one of Jesus' final prayers in John 17. And another easy way is to ask ourselves, how much control did we have over our natural birth? Well, we all know we had zero zip nada control over our natural birth. We had zero zip nada fingerprints of cooperation on our natural birth. And then we say to ourselves, how much control do we have over our death? And we have no control over our death. In fact, if we were to look in the Bible, Saul committed suicide. And then a few verses later, it says that Saul was killed by God for his transgression. And so even when we commit suicide, in reality, it is the Lord that put us to death. The Lord kills and the Lord makes alive. First Samuel chapter two, verse six. The Lord killeth and maketh alive. The Lord bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. And thus, if we can't control our birth and we can't control our death, what makes us think we control anything in between? Especially our spiritual birth when it is Jesus himself saying, except you be born, born again. Now it's only the theologians that can mess this up and try to make us believe that when Jesus said born, that we have some type of cooperation in our birth. For we, as John Q. Public of America, are a simple people. And we ask simple questions. And when Jesus said the word born, what do we, the simple people of America, think? We think of our natural birth. What animal or what creature is born and has cooperation in his birth? It doesn't happen. And thus, we have no cooperation in our spiritual birth. That is why Jesus uses the word born again. Except you be born. Except you be made a new creation. You cannot see the kingdom of God. And who is the embodiment of the kingdom of God but Jesus? Except you be 
become born again, except you become spiritual. You cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot see the spiritual side of Jesus. The natural man can see the son of man, but only the new creation can see the son of God, for the son of God is spiritual. And again, it's only our fast food free will theologians can try to tweak Jesus's words in the following verses and make us think that we have some kind of cooperation in our salvation. Now, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, a fast food free will theologian. And he was clueless about the new creation when he could read about Rebecca having two nations in her womb and that the older would serve the younger, that Esau would serve Jacob. How could Nicodemus not understand about election, about being born again, about the new creation? How How is that possible? Former Mr. Morality, after he became a new creation, read that story, and he knew exactly what was meant by Rebecca having twins, and there would be two nations that would be in opposition to one another. Former Mr. Morality, after he became a new creation, knew exactly what this was. It was talking about election. In fact, the entire chapter 9 of Romans is on election. So how did Nicodemus not know this? He didn't know this because he himself was not yet a new creation and thus was still a natural man, was still not spiritual. A natural man borns children that are natural men. It is only the spirit that can born spiritual men that can make a new creation, which is spiritual. It's the spirit that makes the spiritual man. The natural man has no cooperation in helping out the spirit to make the spiritual man. And Jesus makes this perfectly clear to Nicodemus. German John chapter 3 verse 2. The same, that is Nicodemus, came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we, that is, and his colleague Pharisees, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Now, how do we think that Jesus is going to respond to Nicodemus? What again did Nicodemus say? We know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. We know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles. Now, Jesus obviously knows that Nicodemus is not spiritual, and thus, he knows that he can see the Son of Man. He can see Jesus in the flesh. He knows that Jesus' father and mother are Joseph and Mary. 
And he knows that Jesus was brought up as a carpenter. But he also can see that Jesus is doing these miracles. And thus God is with him. But what Nicodemus can't see is the spiritual side of Jesus. It's only the spiritual that can see the spiritual. Nicodemus only knows Jesus as the son of Joseph and Mary and that he was a carpenter and now has a group of men and women that are following his teachings. But Nicodemus has no idea who Jesus really is because Nicodemus is not spiritual. If he was spiritual, then Nicodemus would know who Jesus is. But what if Jesus showed up today in America and he grew up in a blue collar family and he became a carpenter and then he began a religious movement? How many of us would believe that he is God? Now, the only reason that we believe he is God now is because it has been drilled into us by our churches. But if we really did believe he was God, would we not follow him as did the four fishermen and the tax sheet and the other disciples? They gave up their lives for him. The fact is, the only way for any human being to know who Jesus is, is for the Father in heaven to reveal Jesus to us. And that can't happen until we are made a new creation that is born again. And we, as John Q. Public of America, knows when Jesus used the word born, he's speaking of birth. How much control does any creature have over his birth? Therefore, when Jesus says, except ye be born again, it means we become a brand new creature, totally different from who we were before. And as we've said in the last few messages, a dog and a cat have some similarities. Both have paws, both smell, both hear, both have fur, both eat. But a cat meows and a dog wags its tail to show his friendship to his master. A cat doesn't do that. We can't make a cat into a dog or a dog into a cat. We can't take the natural man and tweak him to become born again. The new creation is brand new. The new creation has some similarities to the natural man. But the new creation and the natural man are as different as a cat and dog. They have completely different characteristics. Now, Nicodemus is completely clueless to this whole business of a new creation. And so then we ask ourselves again, how is Jesus going to answer Nicodemus, who knows he's from God because of the miracles he's doing. And what is Jesus going to say to him to get across to him that he's not just Mary and Joseph's son? What is he going to say?
Well, let's find out. Verse 3. Jesus answered Nicodemus and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, why would Jesus say that? Well, who is the embodiment of the kingdom of God but Jesus himself? And so Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, except you be born again, except you be a new spiritual creation, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And I am the kingdom of God. Ye cannot see me. You only saw the Son of Man. You cannot see the Son of God because you are not spiritual. Only the spiritual can see the spiritual. So now what do we think that Nicodemus is going to say? What is going to be his response? Jesus says, except you be born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So what is Nicodemus going to say? For Nicodemus saith unto Jesus, how can a man be born when he is old? So we see that Nicodemus completely, as a fast food free will theologian, knows nothing about the spiritual new creation. All he knows is the tweaking of the natural man. He has no idea. He is 100% clueless of the spiritual. And so he has no idea what Jesus is talking about. Nicodemus saith unto Jesus, How can a man be born when he is old? I can't be born a second time. Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, what do we think Jesus' response is going to be? Well, Jesus always listens very carefully to what people say to him, what we say to him. And then he answers accordingly. And what did Nicodemus say? Can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? So he's going to answer this question. Can he enter into his mother's womb a second time and be born? I keep that in mind. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Nicodemus, except a man be born of water. Now, many of our fast food free will theologians think he is talking about water baptism. But he's answering the question, can a man enter into his mother's womb again? Well, what happens just before we are born, our mother's water breaks, indicating that we will be birthed soon. So again, Jesus answers Nicodemus, except a man be born of water. And the water he again is speaking of is the water in the womb, the water that breaks just before a child is birthed. 
So Jesus is saying, except a man be born of water, except a man have a natural birth and a second birth. And what second birth is this? Except a man be born of water and of the spirit and be born of the spirit. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Thus, we must, as Americans, have a natural birth and a spiritual birth, which is called being born again. Except a man be born of water, except a man have a natural birth and of the spirit, have a spiritual birth, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Verse 6, that which is born of the flesh, in other words, we are born of our parents and are birthed by our mother. This is called being born of the flesh. Verse 6 again, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Natural men and women birth male and female infants via the mother. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And as we have mentioned many times, there is nothing in between the natural man and the spiritual man. We are either 100% natural men or we are 100% spiritual men. There is nothing in between. And as again we've mentioned several times, a dog and a cat have similarities. A dog smells, a cat smells. A dog eats, a cat eats. A dog sees, a cat sees. A dog hears, a cat hears. A dog has fur, a cat has fur. A dog has paws, a cat has paws. But a cat doesn't wag his tail in friendship to his master like a dog has. A dog has a completely different character than a cat. A dog cannot be tweaked to be made a cat. A cat is a cat and a dog is a dog. We don't tweak one to get the other. A natural man cannot be tweaked to be made a spiritual man. A natural man and a spiritual man are like a dog and a cat. They're completely different creatures with different characteristics, with different personalities. Dogs bark. Cats don't bark. Cats meow. The natural man, no matter how much knowledge he takes in, he still speaks as a natural man, whereas a spiritual man speaks as a spiritual man from birth. A natural man thinks natural. A spiritual man thinks spiritual. They are totally different. But our fast food free will friends and theologians want to take the natural man and tweak it to make it like the spiritual man, which is impossible. They are two totally different creatures. Verse 6 again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Verse 7, Marvel not that I, Jesus, said unto thee, Nicodemus, 
ye must be born again, spiritually born. Verse 8. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou heareth the sound thereof, but canst tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is everyone, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. In other words, you cannot stop the wind. You cannot start the wind. We cannot stop being spiritually born, and we cannot start being spiritually born. We have no more control over our spiritual birth than we did over our natural birth. It is an irresistible grace. We do not know the time, day, or place no more than the day, time, or place that we were conceived and then birth. Let's go back to verse 2. The same, that is Nicodemus, came to Jesus by night. And why do we suppose that he came by night? But he did not want his colleagues knowing that he was going to speak to this rebel rouser, Jesus. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto Jesus, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Now again, how is Jesus going to answer Nicodemus? Nicodemus again says, we, that would be me and my colleague Pharisees, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Now notice Nicodemus said, unless God be with him. But what he doesn't realize, that is what Nicodemus doesn't realize, is that Jesus is God. Nicodemus is a highly trained Pharisee, a Bible scholar, and yet he cannot see that Jesus is God. And why can't he see that Jesus is God? Because Nicodemus, like our fast food free will theologians, are natural men. And natural men can only see other natural men. Natural men can't see the spiritual. And the reason Nicodemus doesn't see that Jesus is God is because Nicodemus is not spiritual. And we Americans that are fast food, free will theologians and friends cannot see the true Jesus either. We can only see a counterfeit Jesus. We cannot see the true Jesus, for the true Jesus is spiritual. And only the spiritual can see the spiritual. But to become spiritual, we must be born by the Spirit. 
And being born by the Spirit is the same as our natural birth. We have zero zip nada cooperation in our birth. Our fast food free will friends and theologians have a certain amount of cooperation in their salvation. There is no cooperation in being spiritually born. We do not know the day, time, or place that we are going to be spiritually born. It just comes upon us. We cannot stop the wind or start the wind. The Spirit of God just comes upon us like the wind comes upon us. We can't start or stop the Spirit. It just happens to us. And thus, if there is any cooperation in our salvation, we are not yet spiritual. So Nicodemus again says, we, that is me and my colleague Pharisees, know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Now notice he doesn't say unless God be in him. But former Mr. Morality, who was a Pharisee before he was born again, now says as a new creation, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but it is Christ that literally lives in me. Christ liveth in me. But Nicodemus is clueless to this, and so was Saul or Paul or former Mr. Morality before he was born again. And what is Jesus' answer? Verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, except you be born by the Spirit. The Spirit born spiritual men, natural men born natural men. Except you be born again, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. For if you could see the kingdom of God, Nicodemus, you would know that I myself, Jesus, am the embodiment of the kingdom of God. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You, Nicodemus, cannot see the kingdom of God. You, Nicodemus, cannot see me, for I am the embodiment of the kingdom of God. You can see and hear me as the Son of Man, as I speak in the flesh, but you cannot see the spiritual because you yourself are not spiritual. Verse 4, Nicodemus saith unto Jesus, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? So Nicodemus is thinking completely natural. He has no idea about the spiritual. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Nicodemus, except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot 
enter into the kingdom of God. Verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Natural man borns natural men. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. The spirit borns spiritual men. The spirit doesn't tweak natural men to make it into a spiritual man. The natural men born natural men. The spirit born spiritual men. And this should be no surprise to you, Nicodemus. It's amazing. As a Pharisee, a scholar of the Old Testament, that you do not understand this. Verse 7, Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Verse 8, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Verse 10, Jesus answered and said unto Nicodemus, Art thou a master of Israel? Art thou a Pharisee, a scholar of the Old Testament, and knowest not these things? Verse 11, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know, both me and my elect. We know these things because we have been elected. And when we were elected, what happened? We had a spiritual birth. So we can see spiritually. We can hear spiritually. We can think spiritually because we are now spiritual. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen. And ye receive not our witness. You don't receive our witness because you're a natural man. If you were a spiritual man, you would not only know the Son of Man, but you would know the Son of God. You would be able to see spiritually and you would know that God is speaking to you face to face. Verse 12, if I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things or spiritual things? Verse 13, and no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. Because not only am I a son of man whom you are talking with, but I also am the son of God. And I am the embodiment of the kingdom of heaven. Thus, I am in heaven, for I am the kingdom of heaven. Verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Verse 15, that or in order that whosoever believeth, that's present tense, keeps on believing, in him should not 
perish, but have eternal life. So let us read those two verses again. And Jesus said in verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And why is that? In order that, this is verse 15, in order that whosoever believeth, whoever keeps on believing in him, the Son of Man, should not perish, but have eternal life. So the Son of Man must be lifted up as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, in order that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So the question becomes then, how did Moses, or for what reason did Moses lift up the serpent in the wilderness? If we do not understand why Moses lifted the serpent up in the wilderness, then we're not going to understand how we are to lift the Son of Man up in order that we might believe on him. So let us find out how Moses or for what reason Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Now the serpent is Satan or the devil. So let's go back to the time of Moses, which was in about 1500 BC, and find out why God had commanded Moses to lift up the serpent in the wilderness. So we'll turn back to Numbers, which is the fourth book in the Bible. It is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and then Numbers. And this would be Numbers chapter 21, verse 4. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the land of Edom would be where the descendants of Esau lived. And the people that God is speaking to are the two and a half million or so people that passed through the Red Sea and then journeyed in the wilderness for 40 years. The reason that they journeyed in the wilderness 40 years because they sent spies up into the land that they were to inherit and it was a good land just like God said it would be a land of milk and honey, but they were afraid of the people. They were like giants and they saw themselves as grasshoppers. And so they said it would be better for us to die in the wilderness than, than to go up here. So God answered their requests and he said, if you want to die in the wilderness, then so be it. The spies from each of your tribes spied out the land for 40 days and for each day that they spied out the land you will spend one year in the wilderness or in other words 40 years in the wilderness and all of you except for those like joshua and caleb who were willing to go up and conquer the land just as i commanded them the rest of you will die and it will be your children 
that will inherit the Lamb. Now, in the book of Hebrews, we find that there is a short synopsis of the rebellious attitude of the majority of these two and a half million people that were in the wilderness with Moses. This is Hebrews chapter 3, verse 15. While it is said, Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. Verse 16. For some, when they had heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. Verse 17. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? Verse 18. And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not? Now, we as natural Americans are all born into this world in unbelief. For the natural man, we as natural men Americans, are born in this world with a rebellious heart. And that heart is just like these two and a half million people that were in the wilderness. We who are in America today, most all of us have heard of Jesus. Back then, they hadn't heard of Jesus. But it is the same. For even though we have heard of Jesus, we as natural men, cannot believe on the true Jesus. Now, we can believe on a fake Jesus, but we cannot believe on the true Jesus. And we must come to see that unbelief is no different than adultery or fornication or theft or lying. Unbelief is sin. And we are all born into sin. We are all born into unbelief. There's no way we can believe. Those at the time of Jesus could believe on the Son of Man. They could hear him speak. They could see him do the miracles. The Spirit of God could come upon them and they could cast out demons and they could do many wonderful works in his name. But they could not believe because Jesus is not only the Son of Man, which we can believe on as natural men, but Jesus is the Son of God. And the Son of God is spiritual. And the only way we can believe on the spiritual is if we ourselves are spiritual. So we must be made a new creation before we can believe. And we have to come to a point in our life that we realize that we by our own efforts, by our own cooperation with the Spirit, cannot become a child of God. It cannot be made a new creation. The new creation is just as our natural birth. We cannot accept it or reject it. It came upon us on a day, time, and place that we were unaware of. And our spiritual birth is the same. Now, once we begin to understand this and believe it, we realize we are between a rock and a hard place, for we have no control over our spiritual birth. And yet we are commanded by Jesus to agonize to enter in at straight as a gate and narrow as a way, for there are few 
be that find it. We are to labor, therefore, to enter in the rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. So we're to labor, we're to strive, we're to agonize to enter in as straight as a gate and narrow is the way. And yet, at the same time, we have no control over it. The first are last and the last are first. Judas was first. He appeared to be a Christian, but he really was not. And so he ended up being last. Where the thief on the cross was last, but Jesus made him a new creation on the cross, and therefore he is first. The last are first, like the thief on the cross, and the first are last, like Judas. Verse 18 again, And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest? But to who? But to them that believed not. They were in unbelief. They saw the miracle of the Red Sea opening. In fact, they walked across on dry land. And then the Red Sea came back upon all the Egyptian military and every one of the Egyptian soldiers perished. They also experienced as two and a half million of them or so in the wilderness had no food to eat. They didn't have time to grow food for two and a half million people. And so what did God do but the miracle of the manna? He put manna upon the wilderness ground and they picked it each day and they could only pick enough for one day or it would spoil. And miraculously, they had food to eat. But the miracles are not enough. Believing that Jesus did the miracles will not make us a Christian. That is a true Christian. We can believe that the Son of Man did these miracles, or at the time of Moses, that God did these miracles. But just believing that God did the miracles, or Jesus did the miracles, does not make us spiritual. And only the spiritual can see the spiritual. So in the case of Jesus, the Jews and others could experience Jesus or the Son of Man doing these miracles. But like Nicodemus, they could not see the Son of God because the Son of God is spiritual and only the spiritual can see the spiritual. Again, chapter 3 of Hebrews, verse 17. But with whom was he grieved 40 years? Was it not with them that had sinned whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? Verse 18. And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believe not, were in unbelief. Verse 19. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. We cannot enter into the kingdom of God. We cannot see the kingdom of God. Remember earlier in the message, except ye be born again, ye cannot see the kingdom of God, Nicodemus. Except you be born again, Jesus says, you cannot see me, for I am the embodiment of the kingdom of God. The wind blows this way, the wind blows that way. You can't stop the wind, you can't start the wind. That is how the new creation 
occurs. It is a new creation. Dogs and cats are different. They have some similarities, but a dog is not a cat, and we can't turn a cat into a dog. We can't turn a natural man into a spiritual man. The natural man cannot believe on the spiritual Jesus, cannot believe on the Son of God. And we that are saints or true Christians are called sons of God. And we as natural man Americans cannot see our countrymen who are sons of God. We can see the fleshly part of them, but we can't see that they're spiritual because only the spiritual can see the spiritual. They to us seem just like any other Christian, but the spiritual Christians can detect the other spiritual Christians. But sometimes even that is difficult. Jesus' disciples did not know that Judas was not a spiritual Christian. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1. Let us therefore fear lest the promise being left us of entering into his rest any of you should seem to come short of it. Verse 2. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them in the wilderness. But the word preached did not profit them not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. And again, the reason they didn't hear it is because they had not been made a new creation. So again, that seems ridiculous to us as natural mid-Americans. If we have no control of whether or not we're going to be made a new creation, why should we do anything? If we skip down to verse 10 of chapter 4 in Hebrews, for he that is entered into his rest, in other words, he has become a new creation, he is now spiritual, he also hath ceased from his own worst. Why has he ceased from his own worst? For now the law does two things. What does it do? It demands perfection, which we can't do. So it throws us to the feet of Jesus. And the second thing the law does is it exposes the evil proclivities of our heart, the evil that is in our heart, the lying that is in our heart. And we now know that following the law or the fig leaves of morality simply covers over our evil heart. And so we are ceased from our works. Verse 10, For he that is entered into the rest, he also has ceased from his own works, as God did from his. God rested on the seventh day. Verse 11, Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief, like the majority of these Jews and others, including some Egyptians, did in the wilderness. Verse 11 again, Let us labor, therefore, and again, we do not know who the writer of the Hebrews is, but many of us believe it was former Mr. Morality himself, for the writing style is very similar. So if that is true, then former Mr. Morality, who persecuted the followers of Jesus for six to eight years, was hearing the gospel being preached because the believers would preach to him as they were being persecuted. And on the road 
to Damascus, Jesus says to former Mr. Morality, who he thought was dead six or eight years before, Jesus spoke to him from the air and said, it is hard to kick against the pricks, is it not? It, my people have been trying to explain to you that you are in unbelief, but you had your fast food free will, Jesus, and did not take heed to what they were saying. But now my father has revealed me to you. And so you totally get this. Now, if it is true that former Mr. Morality wrote the book of Hebrews, then he is the one thing in verse 10, for he that is entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works. Well, remember former Mr. Morality was the king of morality. But now he's saying, we must cease from our works as God did from his. Verse 11, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. Well, how did former Mr. Morality labor to enter into that rest? For he was persecuting Jesus. And yet, if we remember, he was very zealous, even as a Pharisee. He strove hard to be the best at what he did. And because he was zealous, that is why he persecuted these Christians so much because he thought they were frauds. And so even though he himself wasn't necessarily laboring to enter into the rest, in reality he was because he was hearing the gospel from these people that he was persecuting. He had his foot on the accelerator in regards to religious things. And God used that zealousness that he had to hear the gospel even though he did not want to hear it. He wanted to get rid of it, not hear it. But in God's mystery of how he does things, he was hearing it whether he liked it or not. And the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. The word of God first must wound. The sword of the word of God must be swung one way to wound us and then swung back the other way to heal us. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 11, let us labor therefore. Notice he said let us. That would include he himself, former Mr. Morality, who was the Apostle Paul. He's saying let us labor to enter in. Well, why does he need to labor in if he is already an apostle. And we discussed that earlier, where he was worried, even though he 100% knew he was a true Christian, he was worried that if he let his foot off the accelerator, that if he did not run to win, maybe he would end up being a castaway. In chapter three of the Hebrews, he writes this, verse 14, for we are made partakers of Christ if there's the condition, our fast food free well friends do not like that condition. They like once saved, always saved, don't have to worry about it. Once saved, always saved is a true statement. Once we are a new creation, there's no way of not being a new creation. But the fact is we see many, many people who proclaim to be Christians and yet fall away and do as fishermen Peter says, a return to their own vomit as does a dog. 14, for we, that would be me, 
the Apostle Paul and those I am writing to, for we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Now, if we don't hold that confidence, then we are not truly born again. Chapter 4 of Hebrews, verse 11 again. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Now, what do we think that the next verse is going to be? It's just said that we are to labor to enter in. Well, how do we labor to enter in? If we have not listened to the message by George Whitfield entitled Method of Grace, which is a couple messages back, then it is important that we as natural men Americans or even as true Christians ought to listen to this message, which is nothing more than a common sense message. By this time, hopefully we all know that before Adam fell in the Garden of Eden, he was holy. Why was he holy? Because he was able to keep the commandments perfectly. But once he ate of the forbidden fruit, he was driven out of the garden and he lost fellowship with God. And then 930 years later, God killed him. But before God took him out, we must ask the question, what would Adam have to do to get back in to the Garden of Eden now that he is out of the Garden of Eden? Adam now has taken on a nature similar to Satan. Adam believed Satan over God, and God says, okay, if you want Satan over me, then you can have Satan's nature or something close to his nature also. And now, Adam is a liar by nature, envious by nature, and all following the commandments can do is cover over the evil proclivities of his heart. But Adam and Eve found that after they were driven out of the garden, that they realized they had lost the glory of God and they were naked. And therefore they sewed fig leaves together and covered themselves with fig leaves and thought that God could not see their nakedness. But as soon as they heard God's voice, they hid themselves in the trees. And that is exactly what we do. We cover over the evil proclivities of our heart with the fig leaves of morality, making us think that God doesn't see our evil heart. And thus we will be accepted into heaven by our fig leaves of morality. And so then the question is, how do we get to heaven? Well, we would have to be holy as Adam was holy before he fell. Adam again would have to be holy as he was before he fell. What is holy? Follow the commandments perfectly. Well, that in the Bible is called the righteousness of God. We must have faith in the righteousness of God, which is both his passive obedience when he took on hell for us and his active obedience when he followed all his father's commandments for 33 years here on earth but we are in complete unbelief that we need this righteousness of god 
because we have our fig leaves of morality and we believe that our fig leaves of morality will outweigh the evil in our hearts. So why would we need the righteousness of God? So the word of God must come and convince us of the sin of unbelief. It must come and convince us that the evil proclivities of our heart are sin before they actually become an act of sin. We also must be convicted that our acts of sin are sin and then that our, that our fig leaves of morality are sin. That is, our self-righteousness is sin. So that eventually we come to say, as former Mr. Morality said, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And why did he say that? Because he was in captivity to the law of sin. If he broke the law, he was sin. If he followed the law, he was sin. The only other option is to hunger and thirst after Christ's righteousness, that we might be filled with his love also. What do we think? that form of morality is going to say after verse 11 in Hebrews chapter 4. Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Now what is he going to say? What is the next verse going to be? But we have to be convicted of sin. That's what we're doing. We're laboring to enter in. If we don't labor to see our sin, there's no way we're going to hunger and thirst after the righteousness of God. So what do we think the next verse is going to say? Verse 12, For the word of God is quick and powerful. But why is it powerful? How many of us Americans can create life? We can create many great inanimate things, but how many of us can create life? How many of us natural men Americans can raise people from the dead as Jesus did with Lazarus? Well, we as natural men Americans are said to be dead in our trespasses and sin. We are dead fish floating downstream. And Jesus has to make us dead fish come alive and then swim upstream against the current of the world. We as natural men Americans are all born in captivity to Satan. Satan has his tight grip upon us. Jesus has to be stronger than the strong man arm. Satan is called the strong man arm. Jesus has to bind the strong man armed and individually break each one of his elect from his tight grip. So again, verse 11 of Hebrews, let us, that would include former Mr. Morality himself, let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Verse 12, for the word of God is quick and powerful. Well, who is the word of God? In John chapter 1, verse 1, Fisherman John writes, In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, in our Jehovah Witness Bibles, 
they change it to say the word was a God, but that a is not there. So Fisherman John writes, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God, and then in verse 14, and the word became flesh. So it's obvious then that Jesus is the word of God and that Jesus is God himself. So if we go back to verse 12 in chapter 4 of Hebrews, for the word of God, for Jesus is the word of God, right? So if we replace the word of God with Jesus, for Jesus is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. What did he do with the woman at the well? What did he do with Jacob? You've listened to some of these other messages. He first wounded them and then he healed them. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The word of God is like a two-edged sword. It must first wound before it can heal. Wounding always has to come before healing. And even as, as a Christian, we have to continually use the Word of God to wound ourselves, to keep us in that broken spirit and contrite heart where all the joy is. It's the oil of joy for mourning. It is the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. It is beauty for ashes. The new creation is completely paradoxical in nature and the fast food free will theologians and our friends do not understand this paradoxical nature. And so what they try to do is to tweak their natural man. The new creation, again, is like the dog and a cat. You can't turn a dog into a cat. You can't turn a natural man into a spiritual man. You can't take a dead fish and just turn it into the same old dead fish he was before. He now becomes a spiritual fish. So God has to take that dead fish floating downstream and turn it into a spiritual fish swimming upstream. Now the fish still swims and has some of the same characteristics, but now it's a spiritual fish. Verse 12, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Former Mr. Morality in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12 says the following For what man knoweth the things of a man save the spirit of the man which is in him? Again, for what man knoweth the things of a man? Well, what are the things of a man? That would be us. That would be our being. That would be our soul. So how do we learn about ourselves? Verse 11 again. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of the man. It's the spirit of man that searches out our soul and tells us about who we are. That human spirit resides in us. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him. The spirit of man is in us. Even so, the things of God knoweth no man. Our natural man's spirit 
cannot teach us the things of God. For the natural man's spirit is not spiritual. The only thing that can teach us about the spiritual new creation is the spirit of God. Even so, the things of God knoweth no man, but the spirit of God. The moment that we are made a new creation, what does former Mr. Morality say? I am crucified with Christ. So now he's no longer a, a Pharisee, but he is a new creation. And he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but it is Christ that lives in me. The Spirit of Christ now lives in me. Verse 11 again. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit, the human spirit of man, which is in him. Even so, the things of God knoweth no man, but the spirit of God. Now, once we are a new creation, we now know that that spirit lives in us, just like former Mr. Morality knew he lived in him. Spirit of Christ is different than our conscience. The Spirit of Christ is grieved much faster than our conscience. We can grieve the Spirit or quench the Spirit. The Spirit of God puts us way ahead of the curve in being convicted of sin. Now, if we are a new creation, former Mr. Morality says this, verse 12, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, not the natural man's Spirit, but the Spirit of which is of God, why? In order that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. That is the spiritual things. Verse 13, which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And that's because we are now a new creation. And so we can compare spiritual with spiritual, spiritual with natural. We can determine the difference between a natural man Christian and a spiritual man Christian. Verse 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. This whole business of the paradoxical nature of the natural man is foolishness unto the almost free will Christians, the fast food free will Christians, or almost Christians. Because what they have done is tweak the natural man. And so there's no way that they have the oil of joy for mourning or the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness or beauty for ashes. They don't understand that at all. The nature of the new man or the new creation is completely paradoxical in nature. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them. The natural man cannot know the spiritual because the natural man is natural. There is nothing in between the natural and the spiritual. We are either 
100% a natural man. Now, we could be a tweaked natural man, tweaked to be similar to the new creation, but we are still 100% natural no matter how much we are tweaked. You can't turn a dog into a cat. You can't turn a natural man into a new creation. We are either 100% natural or we are 100% spiritual. There is nothing in between. Verse 14, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Verse 15, But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. Now, former Mr. Morality was one of the top theologians in town. And Fisherman Peter and Fisherman John were just fishermen. And yet they knew that former Mr. Morality and his colleagues like Nicodemus were phony baloney Pharisees. They knew they completely did not understand the spiritual. And that is why they wanted to kill Jesus or have him crucified because Jesus was wounding him with the word of God. Verse 15, but he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. No natural man can judge a spiritual because the natural man is clueless of the spiritual. So how in the world is the natural man going to tell the spiritual man that he doesn't know what he's talking about. The natural man does not know the absolute truth. If there is no absolute truth, there is no absolute right or wrong. And therefore, it's just one person's opinion against another person's opinion. If a natural man reads the Bible, he gets one opinion, another natural man gets another opinion. Therefore, there's no way of knowing who is right. And at the time of Jesus, Jesus himself asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And some say that you are Jeremiah, some say that you are John the Baptist, some say that you are Elijah. The natural man had no clue who he was. And the same would be true if he came into town in America today. It is only the sons of God that know who the true Jesus really is. But who are the sons of God? But the elect who have been elected, but those of us who have been made a new creation. And if we have been made a new creation, we are now spiritual. And our natural man, American friends, are clueless that we are spiritual. But overall, we may appear to them to be stringent moralists, when in reality, we are using the law to expose the evil proclivities of our heart that we might repent over them before they become an act of sin. They have no idea that we have been made a whole new creature with new passions, new spiritual eyes, new spiritual ears. Stony heart has been replaced with a tender, repentant heart of flesh that we are spiritual beggars. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The spiritual new creation mourns over the original sin, 
mourns over the evil proclivities of their heart, which have been magnified tremendously over any what the natural man can see. And therefore we mourn over that, for now the law of perfection, which has been written in our heart, makes us desire to be holy, which is impossible, bringing us into captivity to the law of sin, thus making us hunger and thirst after the righteousness of God, that we might be filled with the love of God. The tweet natural man feels none of it, because he is not spiritual, and thus he knows not that we are a son of God. For a son of God is 100% spiritual. For example, just as the Israelites could see and hear Jesus as the son of man, that he was born from Mary and Joseph, they had no idea that the Spirit of God had impregnated Mary, not Joseph, and he was birthed. The people of Israel just thought of Jesus as being born of Joseph and Mary. And thus, they could see the Son of Man, but they could not see the Son of God, because the Son of God is spiritual, and only the spiritual can see and understand the spiritual. The natural man will get a completely different interpretation than the spiritual man. And that is why former Mr. Morality himself, who was a Bible scholar, once he was converted and started rereading his Old Testament, he had to say to himself, that idiot fisherman was right. He had the Son of God living in him. And thus he could interpret the Bible properly. But I, as a Pharisee, was clueless of the spiritual meaning of the scriptures. Fisherman John writes in 1 John chapter 3, verse 7, Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous even as he is righteous. Thus, it is only the righteous that can do righteousness. It is only the new creation that is righteous. And why is that? But because the imputed righteousness of God has been imputed to him. And what is that imputed righteousness? but the perfect obedience of Christ, both his passive obedience when he took on hell for us and his active obedience when he fulfilled the moral law for us. So that when our Father in heaven looks down upon his elect, he sees his elect wrapped in his son's robe of righteousness. And thus he sees his elect as holy because his son kept all the commandments perfectly. And when we keep all the commandments perfectly, we are holy. Thus in 1 John chapter 3, verse 7, Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. But we cannot see that righteousness for 
in Hebrews chapter 1, it says that faith is the certainty of the things not seen. So when we have the faith in the righteousness of God, we cannot see the righteousness of God because it's hidden behind its opposite. All we can see is our wretchedness. And when we see our wretchedness, it makes us mourn because we know we are not holy. And yet our Father in heaven is seeing us as holy because he's seeing his son's obedience as our own personal obedience. Thus, in First John again, verse 7, Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous. The only way we can do righteousness is by not believing in our works, but by falling down at the feet of Jesus, crying out for mercy, and believing in Christ's promises to us. And when we believe those promises, the righteousness of the law is being fulfilled in us. And that is how we do righteousness. But it's only the righteous, only those that have the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ that can do righteousness. And we do righteousness by believing the promises of God by faith, as Abraham did. God promised Abraham a great nation, but he couldn't have a great nation without children. And Sarah was barren for 30 years. Can we, as spiritual new creation Americans, can imagine waiting 30 years for our wife to get pregnant? But Abraham waited on God. He believed the promise, though he had a slip up with Hagar. He never did not believe that God would fulfill his promise to him. Former Mr. Morality writes of Abraham in Romans chapter 4, verse 18, who, that is Abraham, against hope, believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations. Now think about that. For 30 years, he had to wait on God before God fulfilled his promise to him. Who, that is Abraham, against hope, believed in hope that he might become, that is Abraham, might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken so shall thy seed be, as written in the Old Testament. Verse 19, And being not weak in faith, Abraham considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb when she was 90. Verse 20, Abraham staggered not at the promise of God, through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, verse 21, and being fully persuaded, and Abraham being fully persuaded that what God had promised him, 
he was able to also perform. Verse 22, And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Sarah was past menopause, but Abraham and Sarah continued to be intimate, knowing full well that Sarah was barren and there was no human way possible that she was going to be pregnant. But they continued to be intimate, believing that the impossible could happen, that the promised child Isaac would not come from their works, but it would be a miracle child because they believed the promise of God. And that child would not be born by their works, but by Christ's works. And yet it was through their intimacy that the child was born. Again, that's a very paradoxical conundrum. But that is the way it works. 21 again, and Abraham being fully persuaded that what he had promised, that what God had promised, God was able also to perform. It is God that's going to perform it, even though they continue to be intimate. Verse 22, and therefore it was imputed to him. It was imputed to Abraham for righteousness. Verse 23, now it was not written for Abraham's sake alone. It was imputed to him that the righteousness was imputed to him. Verse 24, but for us, now who is us? That would be former Mr. Morality and his Roman elect friends. Well, former Mr. Morale is including himself along with his elect friends and all of us Americans who are of the elect. Verse 24, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on our Father that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. And what was the significance of the resurrection? Well, our Father in heaven could not have raised Jesus from the dead if he had committed a sin when he was here on earth. Former Mr. Morale also writes to his brethren in Corinth, he who knew no sin, Jesus, who knew no sin, was made sin. What sin? Made the elect's original sin. And what happened when Jesus was made original sin of the elect? But our Father in heaven would have to do the same to Jesus as he would do to us. And what is that? He would have to send Jesus to hell or have Jesus take on hell. But once Jesus had finished taking on hell, for he could take on an infinite amount of pain in a short amount of time, once hell was taken care of and he said, it is finished, 
now our Father in Heaven could look at his life and say, he who knew no sin, Jesus knew no sin while he was here on earth for 33 years. And because he knew no sin, the Father could not keep him in hell, for he was innocent. Us, our Father in heaven, could legally raise him from the dead, proving that he had fulfilled the moral law for us. For if he had not fulfilled the moral law for us, he could not have raised Jesus from the dead. Before again, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. We believe on our Father in heaven who raised Jesus up from the dead. And what does that say to us? But that Jesus fulfilled the moral law for us as our ticket into heaven. And that is what makes us holy because we are believing in both Jesus' passive and active obedience. Verse 25, who Jesus was delivered for our offenses. He was delivered up to hell because he took on our original sin who was delivered up for our offenses and raised again for our justification. Justification is the legal term for being innocent in his Father in Heaven's courtroom. So he was raised up again for our justification. He was raised up for our justification. He fulfilled the moral law for us perfectly. Why? But for our justification, for Jesus' perfect obedience is looked upon by our Father in heaven as our own perfect obedience. Thus, we are justified because we are innocent in his courtroom. Verse 16, therefore, it is of faith, faith in the righteousness of God, faith that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it meant that Jesus fulfilled the moral law for us. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. What is grace? But it is unmerited favor. What is the unmerited favor? That Jesus fulfilled the moral law for us. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that which is of the law. It's not by works. Abraham and Sarah had to wait on God for 30 years before that promise was fulfilled in their son Isaac. Not to that only which is of the law, that is not only to the Jews that were under the Mosaic law, but also to the Gentiles. Not to that only which is of the law, not only just the Jews, but to the Gentiles also, but to that also, which would include us Americans, which are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of 
of us all. Is the father of all the elect who were given to Jesus before the foundation of the world. Now, King David, who came about a thousand years after Abraham, Abraham lived in 2000 BC and David was in about 1000 BC. King David wrote over half of the Psalms and in the Psalms, we find how David prayed and how he believed in these promises. And we can believe in these same promises and we should commit to memory the Psalms that fit our situation. Let us take a look at Psalm 25. And as we read this, let us look to all the promises that King David believed in, which we also can believe in. Verse 1, Unto thee, O Lord, do I, King David, lift up my soul. Verse 2, O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. Verse 19, Consider mine enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with cruel hatred verse 20 oh keep my soul and deliver me let me not be ashamed for i put my trust in thee verse 21 let integrity and unrighteousness preserve me for i wait on thee notice again i wait on thee verse 22 redeem israel israel has two different meanings it can mean the jews by genealogy the natural Jews, but it also can mean Israel, the elect, the seed of God. Verse 22, redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. And this Israel can be read both ways. Redeem the elect, O God, out of all his troubles. Or it could read, redeem Israel, the nation, O God, out of all his troubles. It is when the elect are delivered out of their troubles, that America will be delivered out of its troubles. When it goes right with the elect, it will go right with the nation. King Solomon, which was King David's son, totally understood this in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 10. When it goeth well with the righteous, that is, those that have the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ or the elect. When it goeth well with the righteous, the city rejoiceth. And when the wicked perish, there is shouting, verse 11, by the blessing of the upright, or the righteous, or the elect, by the blessing of the elect, the city is exalted, but it is overthrown by the mouth of the wicked. Proverbs 29.2, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. When the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. And isn't that what is happening in many of our American cities across this country today? Thus, if we want to learn how to pray properly, it is good to find a psalm which matches where we are in life and relate to and then commit this psalm to memory and 
play it back to God daily or when the situation fits. For these Psalms are God's word and we must believe God's word by faith. And God likes to hear us play back his word to him and remind him of what he has said. We are to be God's remembrances. And when God hears his word being played back to him, he takes note of us and will eventually fulfill those promises as we continually play them back to him. But some of those promises may not be fulfilled until after we die. For Abraham did not receive the land which was promised to him until about 500 years after it was promised to him when Moses led about two and a half million of the people through the Red Sea. Then they were in the wilderness for 40 years and Moses sinned and God says, I'm not going to let you go in. I'll let you look over at the land but I'm going to remove you and put Joshua in. And then Joshua led them into the land of Canaan and they conquered about seven nations. Now, former Mr. Morality in the book of Acts, which was written by Dr. Luke, in that book of Acts, uh, Dr. Luke speaks of the three missionary journeys that Mr. Morality made throughout the Mediterranean area. And in chapter 13 of Acts, comes to Antioch and goes to a Jewish synagogue and begins to preach to the people or the Jews that were in this synagogue. This is Acts 13, 13. Now, when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga, in Pamphylia and John departing from them returned to Jerusalem verse 14 and when they departed from Perga they came to Antioch in Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down verse 15 after the reading of the law and the prophets the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them saying ye men and brethren if ye have any word of exhortation for the people say on verse 16 then paul stood up and beckoning with his hand said men of israel and ye that fear god give audience now remember that King Solomon wrote that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And so former Mr. Morality knows that fear is the most important ingredient for us as natural men Americans to hear God. We must begin to fear the Lord. Now true fear comes at the moment of salvation. But what he is doing here is making it clear that if they don't fear God, they're really not going to hear him. Verse 16, then Paul stood up and beckoning with his hand said, men of Israel, 
ye that fear God, give audience. Verse 17. The God of this people of Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with a high arm brought he them out of it through Moses. Verse 18. And about the time of 40 years suffered he in their manners in the wilderness. Remember, they were in the wilderness with Moses after they had gone through the Red Sea for 40 years. And God put manna on the ground each day in order to feed those two and a half million or so people. Verse 18, and about the time of 40 years suffered he their manners in the wilderness. Verse 19, and when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, that is God via the hand of the leadership of Joshua destroyed seven nations and this land became the land of Israel. Verse 19 again, and when he, that is God, had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he divided their land to them by lot. That is, the land was divided up amongst the 12 tribes of Israel. And those 12 tribes were made up of the descendants of the 12 sons of Jacob. Verse 20. And after that, he gave unto them judges about the space of 450 years until Samuel the prophet. So for about 450 years, God would raise up judges to deliver Israel after they had sinned. Over those 450 years, God raised up about 12 judges. Three of the more well-known judges are Gideon, Deborah, and Samson. God raised up these judges in times of need, but there was no king of Israel. Verse 21, and afterward they desired a king, and God gave unto them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of 40 years. So they wanted a king like all the other nations and god really didn't want to give them the king but that's what they wanted and so he gave it to them that's why we have to be careful what we ask for because god may give us what we ask for and it may not be the best thing for us verse 22 and when he had removed saul he raised unto them david to be their king to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Now, David had a lot of sin. He committed adultery with Bathsheba and etc. So how would he fulfill all his will? He fulfilled all his will because he had faith in the righteousness of God. So it was his faith in the righteousness of Christ, the obedience of Christ, which would make him fulfill all his will. Now, we just read Psalm 25. And so if we read these Psalms, we can see that David had a heart after God's own heart in these Psalms. But David was plagued with sin just like many of the elect are. Even the meekest man that ever lived on this earth, who was Moses, was put to death by God because he disobeyed God. And God removed him from the leadership position and put Joshua 
in place. Verse 21, And afterward they desired a king, and God gave unto them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of forty years. Verse 22, And when he had removed him, and when God removed Saul, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Verse 23, of this man's seed. Now he's trying to explain to these Jews that Jesus is going to be a descendant of David. Mary, that is mother Mary, the mother of Jesus, would be a descendant of David's son, Nathan. And Joseph would be a descendant of King Solomon. So former Mr. Morale is trying to explain to these Jews who think they are believers, but in reality, they are in unbelief about who the true Messiah is. Verse 23, of this man's seed, of David's seed, hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel, that would be the elect, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. If we remember, Jesus cannot give eternal life to everyone. He can only give eternal life to those that were given to him by his father before the foundation of the world. So he has raised unto Israel or raised unto the elect a savior, Jesus. Verse 24, when John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. Now in this case, Israel could be both the Jews by genealogy and uh, Israel the elect. When John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, verse 25, and as John fulfilled his course, John said, Whom think ye that I am? I am not he. I am not Jesus. I am not the Messiah, but behold, there cometh one after me, whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to loose. Verse 26, men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God. Now again, that should be a message to us. Do we fear God. We cannot truly fear him until we become a new creation. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. Why? Because fearing God is the beginning of knowledge. Verse 27, for they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew 
Jesus not. They did not know who Jesus was. Now they saw that he was Jesus, the carpenter, Jesus, the son of Mary and Joseph. They could hear him speak and they knew who the son of man was, but they did not know the spiritual side of Jesus. They did not know the son of God because only the spiritual could know the spiritual. And former Mr. Morality knows that these religious Jews are clueless to the true Jesus, just like he was. He thought Jesus was nothing more than a rebel rouser. So he's talking from experience. He didn't fear God either. And he wanted to put God to death, put Jesus to death. He was one of the Pharisees that helped hand Jesus over. Then he persecuted his followers for six to eight years. He had no fear. So he's talking from his experience. Verse 27, for they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, just like I didn't, nor yet the voices of the prophets. I was an Old Testament scholar, but I had a completely wrong interpretation of the Old Testament because I was not spiritual, which are read every Sabbath day. I, I was one of those guys that read the law on the Sabbath. They have fulfilled them in condemning Jesus. They that falsely read those fulfilled the commandments. When Jesus came into town, what did they do? They condemned the true Jesus, just like the scripture said that they would do. So, Former Mr. Morality was condemning Jesus, just like the scripture said would happen. He thought he had the true Messiah, but he had not the true Messiah. He knew not who Jesus was. Verse 28, and though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they, Pilate, that he should be slain. And I was one of those that desired that Jesus should be slain. Now that is no laughing matter, and excuse me for that tone, but that's how stupid and ignorant that I was as a Pharisee. I had no idea who he was. I should have been falling down at his feet and worshiping him, but I, along with my colleagues, wanted him put to death. and. Herod was right when he said it was out of envy. For the people were following Jesus and things were getting out of control. We were the religious leaders and we didn't want Jesus being more popular than we are. 29. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, and I was one of them, and when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, written of Jesus, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher, verse 30. But God raised him from the dead, verse 31. He was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, 
who are his witnesses unto the people. So former Mr. Morality is saying, look, Jesus really was raised from the dead by his father. And then he came to his disciples and they witnessed him in his new spiritual body. And Dr. Luke writes about this in Dr. Luke chapter 24, verse 36. And as they thus spake, that is the disciples, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them, midst of his disciples, and saith unto them, Peace be unto you, verse 37. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit or a ghost. Verse 38. And Jesus said unto them, Why are ye troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Verse 39. Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit or a ghost hath not flesh and bones, as you see me have. So this new spiritual body is totally different than our natural man body. This new spiritual body has flesh and bone. And we will find out as we read further that this new body of his could eat fish. That this new body of his could pass through locked doors. That this new body of his could rise up off the earth. Verse 40, and when he had spoken thus, he showed them his hands and his feet. Verse 41, and while they yet believed not for joy and wonder, Jesus said unto them, have ye here any meat? Can we have a little dinner? Verse 42. They gave him a piece of broiled fish and of a honeycomb. Verse 43. And Jesus took it and did eat before them. 44. And Jesus said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Verse 45. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. Verse 46. And Jesus said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. Verse 47. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Verse 48, and ye are witnesses of these things. And I, six to eight years later, also witnessed him. I thought he was dead, but he spoke to me from the air on the road to Damascus on an unknown day, unknown time, and un known place and he made me a new creation and thus I am a witness also verse 47 and that repentance and remission of sins should be 
preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Ye are witnesses of these things. Verse 49, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Verse 50, And Jesus led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Verse 51, And it came to pass while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. Verse 52, And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Verse 53, And were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. Now you can imagine, you know, that they were with him three years. Then he was crucified and then wondering whether or not he really was going to come back from the dead. And here he actually did come back from the dead and even ate some fish with them. And so they are now wanting to tell everyone about this. And they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. Well, back to former Mr. Morality in Acts 13, where he is witnessing to these Jews about the true Jesus. They think they have the true Jesus, but they have a fake fast food free will Messiah. Verse 29, and when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, and when they had fulfilled all that was written of Jesus, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. Verse 30, but God raised him from the dead. Verse 31, and he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people, which we just read about in Dr. Luke. Verse 32, and we declare unto you that would be me, Apostle Paul, and Barnabas. And we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, verse 33, God hath fulfilled the same unto us, that is, the elect, their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm. So now, former Mr. Morale says, look, as a Pharisee, I had no idea what this scripture meant, but I know what it means now. David wrote this psalm. David knew what it meant, but I had no idea what it meant. And here is the verse that he quotes in the second psalm. Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. So let us go back to Psalm 2 and read most of the psalm. And when we read this psalm, as we see the moral meltdown happening in America, we should be able to relate 
to this song. As we see the moral meltdown in America, which is being driven by the tyrants, our founding fathers completely understood this, especially John Adams' second cousin, who is Samuel Adams, and he has many great quotes. But here is one of his great quotes. Quote, It is in the interest of tyrants to reduce the people to ignorance and vice. And what is happening in our schools? We are dumbing the schools down more and more each year. And now with the woke agenda, we are pumping immorality into our schools. And who is driving this? But activists who get into our school boards. And then our school boards hire liberal superintendents. And our liberal superintendents hire liberal principals. And our liberal principals go after the conservative teachers to not only dumb down the program, but to bring teachers in who will push their immorality. Again, Samuel Adams writes, it is in the interest of tyrants to reduce the people to ignorance and vice, for they, that is the tyrants, cannot live in any country where virtue and knowledge prevail. The religion and public liberty of a people are intimately connected. In other words, there is no such thing as liberty or freedom apart from morality. The religion and public liberty of a people are intimately connected. Their interests are interwoven. They cannot subsist separately. You can't have freedom apart from morality. And therefore they rise and fall together. For this reason, it is always observable that those who are combined to destroy the people's liberties practice every art to poison their morals and is that not exactly what is happening in our public schools today so let us now read psalm 2 king david's psalm 2 verse 1 why did the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing verse 2 the kings of the earth set themselves, and we could replace kings with the president, the president of the United States. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, which would be Jesus and his elect saying, verse 3, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. 
This is God's war, the seed of the woman against the seed of the serpent. When Satan lied to Eve and Eve believed Satan's lie over God's truth, God put enmity or hatred between the seed of Satan and the seed of the woman. The seed of Satan is all of us are born into this world as the seed of Satan, for Satan is our spiritual father. The seed of the woman ends up being Jesus and his elect. Cain murdered Abel because Abel was one of the elect. And what do the elect do? But the elect begin to preach, and thus Abel began to preach to Cain. Fisherman John writes in 1 John chapter 3, verse 12, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, the devil. And Cain slew his brother Abel. And wherefore did Cain slew Abel? Because his own works were evil and his brother's were righteous. In other words, Cain's works were evil, or in God's world, anything less than perfect is evil. And Abel's were righteous because he had the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ as a new creation. And God put hatred between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. This explains why Jesus and his disciples were hated so much by the religious rulers and thus handed Jesus over to the Romans to be crucified. This is the same reason that Cain murdered Abel. At the time of Jesus, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, were a group of fast food free will theologians. Thus the country was in a moral meltdown for Jesus had said in Matthew 24, 1 and 2 that Israel would be destroyed which it was in 70 A.D. In America today, our fast food free will theologians dominate the churches and the religious airways, and we are in a moral meltdown, as Israel was at the time of Jesus. But when we ask our fast food free will theologians who is to blame for this moral meltdown, they blame the last time when Fisherman John tells us clearly in 1 John 2.18 that the last times began at the cross, and thus George Washington John Adams and Jefferson, who wrote most of our Declaration of Independence, and James Madison, who wrote most of our Constitution, helped create the greatest nation known to mankind in the last times. Fisherman John cannot be any clearer. First John 2.18, little children, it is the last time. And ye have heard that Antichrist shall come even now there are many antichrists whereby we know that it is the last time now you can't get any clearer than that the last times began at the cross and thus our declaration of independence was written in the last time and our miraculous constitution was written in the last times so how is it that these fast food free will theologians have duped many of us americans into thinking that the cause of the moral meltdown is the last times rather than the dominant church and who is the dominant church but the fast food free will theologian for if we think of the sun as the church and the moon as america 
then the moral meltdown of America is simply a reflection of the church, of a false church, for the doctrine of free will is a fiction. But we are not going to blame our fast food free will friends, for they cannot win the debate. The problem is, the bondage of will preachers have let their foot off the accelerator. And we as Americans, again, must put the pressure on these bondage of the will preachers to get their act together. Thus, we as Americans must begin to help to support an effort to get the bondage of the will doctrine to again be dominant in America, as it was from 1620 to 1830. But in 1830, not long after, both John Adams and Jefferson, who died on the same day on July 4th, if you can believe it, Thomas Jefferson was the one who wrote most of our Declaration of Independence, and John Adams was the orator. Jefferson didn't like to speak much, but they both died on the same day, on Independence Day, July 4th, 1825. But it wasn't just five years later that Charles Finney, the fast food free will theologian, the altar call theologian, got traction in America. And in the 1900s, Billy Graham was mentored by his writings and Billy Graham helped tremendously to spread the fast food free will doctrine throughout America. And in order to keep the fast food free will doctrine alive, the fast food free will preachers need to downplay original sin is sin. Because if John Q. Public of America begins to understand that the fountain from which all evil flows in this world comes right out of our own heart, it will obliterate free will. For man's heart is so evil, he will never choose for the true Jesus, but a fake Jesus. But the bondage of the world preachers know that original sin is sin is inextricably tied to the righteousness of God. But we will never hunger and thirst after the righteousness of God until we know we have no righteousness. Thus, original sin is sin will be on the front burner in every bondage of the will church. And by the trickle-down effect, John Q. Public of America will begin to understand and to teach their children that the fountain from which all evil in this world flows is right out of their own heart. And that is separate from their talents. And if they want their talents to flourish, they must keep the evil black cat in the heart and not let it out. Once it is let out, it becomes sin and we become an immoral country. But if it does get out, we don't have to send the kid to the psychiatrist. He, all he has to do is repent. Our fast food free will friends who refuse to preach sour end up preaching sweet and sour. The bondage of the will preachers preach sour, and the world lagging behind is halfway sane at sweet and sour. But when our fast food free will theologians preach sweet and sour, the world lags behind with sweet and wonderful. And once we see ourselves as sweet and wonderful, that means we are born in this world as a clean slate. It is the world that corrupts us. And so if we tell our child, you're sweet and wonderful, sweet and wonderful, sweet and wonderful, and something goes wrong, our child says, it couldn't be my fault. My parents told me I was sweet and wonderful. Therefore, it has to be the other guy's fault, which means that that person that sees himself as sweet and wonderful 
is in fact a victim and victimhood is the playing ground that communists need to take over a country because tyranny cannot exist apart from victims. If we think of the church as the sun and America or the nation America as the moon, the moon is simply a reflection of the church. So in America today, we all know we're in a moral meltdown. So who is in charge? Who is the dominant church in America today? It is the fast food free will theologians, right? Thus, it is the fast food free will doctrine that is causing the moral meltdown because America is simply a reflection of the church. And thus, when you have a false doctrine, which Martin Luther says the fast food free will theologian doctrine is nothing more than a fiction. It doesn't exist. And we have proved it with self-evident truth. So when you put the fiction as the sun, what do we think happens to our country? It slips into a moral meltdown and now the tyrants smell blood and they have a strong foothold upon this country. So two things must happen. We as Americans, whether we be Christians or not, must support the bondage of the will church. And why is that? Psalm 118, verse 1. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, because his mercy endureth forever. Verse 4. Let them now that fear the Lord say that his mercy endureth forever. Verse 5. I called upon the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. Verse six, the Lord is on my side, that is the elects. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? Verse seven, the Lord taketh my part with them that help me. The Lord taketh my part with them that help me. So, those of us Americans that help the elect, it could be read this way. The Lord taketh up the elect's part with them, those of America, that help the elect. Therefore shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. Therefore we as Americans shall see our desire upon those tyrants that hate us and smell blood. Now let us return to King David's Psalm 2, verse 1. Why do the heathen rage and people imagine a vain thing? Verse 2. The kings or the presidents of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, against his elect, saying, verse three, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Verse four, he that sitteth in the heavens 
shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. That is in contemptuous ridicule. Verse 5. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Verse 6. Yet have I set my king. That is King Jesus or King pre-incarnate Christ. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Zion represents the church or the elect in this particular case. Verse 7, I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, and this day have I begotten thee. And former Mr. Morality is saying that have I begotten thee is talking about the resurrection. Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Now back to former Mr. Morality in Acts 13, verse 32, and we declare unto you, that is the Jews in the synagogue who think they are believers but are really not, and we that would be me, former Mr. Morality, and my brother Barnabas. And we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, verse 33, God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day I have begotten thee. Verse 34, and as concerning that he raised him from the dead. So, Reverend Mr. Morality, now as a new creation, rereads Psalm 2. And he says that this verse is applying to the resurrection of Jesus when he came back from the dead in his new spiritual body and witness to his disciples. 33 again, God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children in that he hath raised up Jesus again. And how does he know it? He is going to prove to these Jews that Psalm 2 is proving that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm. That idiot fisherman probably knew what this verse meant, but I as a Pharisee did not. But now I do. As it is written in the second psalm, my son is talking about Jesus. This day I, the Father, have begotten thee. Verse 34. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise. Here, former Mr. Morality is going to quote from Psalm 16. And as concerning that he raised him from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, 
I will give you the sure mercies of David. And what are the sure mercies of David? First Chronicles chapter 17, verse 1. Now it came to pass as David sat in his house that David said to Nathan the prophet, Lo, I dwell in a house of cedars, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord remaineth under curtains. Verse 2. Then Nathan said unto David, Do all that is in thine heart, for God is with thee. Verse 3. And it came to pass that same night that the word of God came to Nathan, saying, Verse 4. Go and tell David my servant, Thus saith the Lord, Thou shalt not build me a house to dwell in. Verse 11. And it shall come to pass when the days be expired, that thou must go to be with thy fathers, that I will raise up thy seed after thee, which shall be of thy sons, and I will establish his kingdom, which would be Solomon. Verse 12, he shall build me a house, and I will establish his throne forever. Well, Solomon's throne did not last forever. But Joseph, the husband of Mary, would be in the line of Solomon. And thus Jesus had the right to the kingship through Solomon. But since Mary was virgin born, Joseph did not carry the bloodline. But Mary was a descendant of one of David's other sons, whose name was Nathan. So Mary carried the bloodline. And thus, Jesus was a descendant of David, and he had the blood of David, and yet he had the right to the kingship of David. Again, in First Chronicles chapter 17, verse 11, And it shall come to pass, when the days be expired, that thou, David, must go to be with thy fathers. In other words, David would die. That I will raise up thy seed after thee. Now that seed has a dual meaning. It will mean his son Solomon through his wife Bathsheba and it will also mean Jesus. That I will raise up thy seed after thee which shall be of thy sons and I will establish his kingdom. Verse 12. He shall build me a house and I will establish his throne forever. Now Solomon would build a house for God, but Solomon's throne didn't last forever. So now it's referring to Jesus. Verse 12, he shall build me a house and I will establish his throne forever. Jesus' throne will be forever. 13, I will be his father. I, which would be the father in heaven, will be Jesus' father, and he shall be my son, and I will not take my mercy away from him, as I took it from him that was before thee. That is, God removed King Saul from being king because of his sin. Verse 14, But I will settle him in mine house, and in my kingdom forever. In other words, Jesus will be the spiritual king of all the nations of this world forever. Verse 15, according to all these words and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. 
David was very humbled by this. 16, And David the king came and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is mine house that thou hast brought me hitherto? Verse 17, And yet this was a small thing in thine eyes, O God. For thou hast also spoken of thy servant's house for a great while to come and hast regarded me according to the estate of a man of high degree, O Lord God. Verse 18, What can David speak more to thee for the honor of thy servant? For thou knowest thy servant. Verse 19, O Lord, for thy servant's sake, and according to thine own heart, hast thou done all this greatness in making known all these great things. Verse 20, O Lord, there is none like unto thee, neither is there any God besides thee, according to all that we have heard with our ears. Verse 21, And what one nation in the earth is like thy people Israel, whom God went to redeem to be his own people, to make thee a name of greatness and terribleness by driving out nations from before thy people whom thou hast redeemed out of Egypt. Verse 22, For thy people Israel, Israel can be read both ways as the nation Israel or spiritual Israel, which are the elect. In this case, it is the elect. For thy people or for thy elect didst thou make thine own people forever. And thou, Lord, becamest their God before. Let it even be established that thy name may be magnified forever, saying the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts throughout the Old Testament is the second person of the Trinity or is the pre-incarnate Christ. The Lord of hosts means he is the commander-in-chief of all the militaries of the nations. The Lord of hosts is the God of Israel, which means that Jesus is God. Lord of hosts is the God of Israel, even a God to Israel, and let the house of David thy servant be established before thee. Verse 27, now therefore let it please thee to bless the house of thy servant, that it may be before thee forever. Thou blesseth O Lord, and it shall be blessed forever. This is called the sure mercies of David. So let's go back to the form of Mr. Morality in Acts chapter 13, verse 34. And as concerning that he raised Jesus up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. That is, that Jesus would establish a kingdom forever, and Jesus would be a descendant of David. And former Mr. Morale goes on to prove from the Old Testament that Jesus is, in fact, the true Messiah. He's trying to prove that to these Jews in the synagogue of Antioch in Pisidia. 34, and as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. 
verse 35. Therefore he saith also in another psalm, that would be Psalm 16, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one, that again would be the second person of the Trinity, or Jesus, to see corruption. Jesus would not sin. He who knew no sin would be made sin. Jesus would not sin for the entire time he was here on earth. And thus he would see no corruption. In other words, he would only take on hell because he who knew no sin, he who kept the commandments perfectly, was made our original sin. So he took on hell, which in that case he took on our corruption. But he was raised from the dead by his father because he knew no sin. Thus he had no corruption. Thou shalt not allow thine holy one, that is Jesus, to see corruption. Verse 36, for David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid onto his fathers and saw corruption. So this psalm couldn't be applied completely to David uh, because David did see corruption, but Jesus saw no corruption. Verse 37, but he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Why? Because he knew no sin when he was here on earth. Verse 38, be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And former Mr. Moroni is saying, look, I just proved it to you that these scriptures show that Jesus was the true Messiah. And I am here to tell you as one of the leading Pharisees that I was clueless that he was the true Messiah. But now Jesus has been revealed to me and I'm telling you, the scriptures prove conclusively that Jesus was the true Messiah. 39, and by him all that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. Verse 40, beware therefore lest that come upon you which is spoken of in the prophets. Skipping down to verse 42, and when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Verse 43, now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. Verse 45, but when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Verse 48, and when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believe. That is, let us remember that Jesus can only give eternal life to as many that were given to him by his Father before the foundation of the world. This is the same as saying, as many as were ordained to eternal life believe. Verse 49, and the word of the Lord was published throughout the region. Now let us return to where we began, and that is with Jesus confronting Nicodemus, a Pharisee, 
just as former Mr. Morality was a Pharisee. And Nicodemus was completely clueless about the spiritual. And he had said unto Nicodemus, Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto Jesus, How can these things be? Skipping down, Jesus says, If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things or spiritual things? No man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, which would have been me, Nicodemus, but he that cameth down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. In verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. At this point in the message, we took a look at what former Mr. Morality had to say about the two and a half million people that were in the wilderness, that they were in unbelief and that they were to labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. In other words, labor to become born again, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. And how are they to labor? Former Mr. Morality then writes, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit and of the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And thus, former Mr. Morality is saying, Look, the word of God is Jesus, and the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. And we are to use that sword to first wound ourselves and then come back and heal ourselves. And then we saw how former Mr. Morality himself, after he had become a believer in Acts 13, went into a Jewish synagogue and used the word of God to wound these Jews in this synagogue after he wounded them when the jews were gone out of the synagogue the gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next sabbath but when the jews saw the multitudes they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by paul contradicting and blaspheming and when the gentiles heard this they were glad and glorified the word of the lord and as many as were ordained to eternal life believe. That is, the only ones that can believe are the ones that Jesus can give eternal life to. And Jesus can only give eternal life to the ones that were given to him by his Father before the foundation of the world. Those are the ones that were ordained to eternal life. So that the point is that these two and a half million people that went through the Red Sea with Moses and then were in the wilderness with Moses for 40 years, were in unbelief that these Jews in this Jewish synagogue that former Mr. Morality preached to were also in unbelief. And Nicodemus, who came to Jesus, was in unbelief along with his colleague, Pharisees. And Nicodemus says, We 
know that God is with you because of the miracles that you are doing. But just because they believed in the miracles doesn't mean that they were believers. They were in unbelief. So Jesus again tells Nicodemus, if I, Jesus, have told you, Nicodemus, earthly things and you believe not, how shall ye, Nicodemus, believe if I tell you of heavenly things or spiritual things? Verse 13, and no man hath ascended up to heaven, which was me, Nicodemus, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. And now Jesus gives him the solution. He tells Nicodemus what he must do to see the spiritual. Let us remember that Jesus is the Word of God, and the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, and that the Word of God must first wound before it can heal. So now Jesus is going to wound him. And he says to Nicodemus, verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And it becomes immediately obvious to Nicodemus that Jesus knows his Bible, just like he knows his Bible. And Nicodemus knows that he is referring to Numbers 21 where the people spake against God and against Moses, saying, Ye have brought us up out of Egypt to die in this wilderness, where there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. Our soul loatheth this miracle that you have provided for us, God, this manna that you put on the earth every day. We're tired of it. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee, Moses. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten when he looketh upon it shall live and moses made a serpent of brass and put it on a pole and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man when he beheld the serpent of brass he lived so jesus is saying to nicodemus Look, I have told my disciples that their righteousness must exceed your righteousness. And if I haven't said it to you yet, I will be saying to you, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you may clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisees, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Nicodemus, you do not see that original sin is sin. 
that you have a nature that is in defiance to me and my Father. It is your nature that is condemning you. And thus, you need to learn that it is condemning you. Martin Luther, 1900 years from now, will say, the damned are suffering so severely because they were unwilling to be damned. Why were they unwilling to be damned? Because they did not see that their original sin was condemning them. And it will not be till the day that I make you a new creation that I also will circumcise your heart and you will see your heart as I do and then you will be willing to condemn yourself to hell and then at that point you have no option but to look to my righteousness I fulfilled the moral law for you Nicodemus and you must believe by faith in the righteousness of God in order to go to heaven Nicodemus Beg God that you might bewail and bemoan your original sin, that you might be thrown to my feet, crying out for mercy, that I might reach down and embrace you as I am lifting you up, saying, Fear not, Nicodemus, my father's wrath has been subdued. But let us, Nicodemus, just go a little deeper in our understanding. For the knowledge of the holy is understanding. And I am holy. Adam and Eve believed Satan's lie over God's truth. And thus, God gave them over to Satan and his lies. And therefore, they took on a nature similar to Satan, who I, Jesus, have said is the father of lies and was a murderer from the beginning. And extrapolating Nicodemus, that means the fountain from which all evil in this world flows is right out of your own heart. Your heart is 100% defiant to God. Because like Satan, you have a defiant sin nature and cleaning the outside of the cup will do you no good or first the inside of the cup must be cleansed and then automatically the outside of the cup will become clean and the only way that is going to happen is if you lift jesus up on the cross and you see his pierced hands and feet meaning that he took on hell for your sin nature. But also his hands and feet are working hands and feet. Without our hands and feet, we could not work. Jesus worked for you. He fulfilled the commandments for you. His pierced hands and feet represent his passive obedience. His working hands and feet represent the fact that he fulfilled the moral law for you. Nicodemus, morality cannot eradicate your sin nature. And thus you are condemned to hell even if you never committed one act of sin. Acknowledge this and lift me up on the cross and believe that faith in my pierced and working hands for you will save you. Amen and amen.